How are you doing today? It's good to have you here. We're continuing our series that I'm preaching on, going through the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, just open them up. I'll get to it in just a minute. But it's Ephesians chapter 4. Like, um, I'm extremely excited about this sermon. Um, it went really well last night. And the reason I'm excited about it is because it's probably one of the most impactful passages of Scripture in the whole Bible for me personally. Um, and what I would like to pray for you before we start is that God would use it in your life like He has in mine. Um, over and over and over and over again, you know, I've been walking with God well over 40 years. It's like this passage of Scripture just is unbelievable. Uh, next week, maybe even, <laughs> I love 4, 5, and 6 of the book of Ephesians, and you're going to love it. So don't miss a week if you can help it. And I'd like to pray for you right now. Can I pray for you? Lord, I, I, I don't know anybody, everybody here. I know a lot of people, but a lot of them I don't. And I, I, I pray for every one of them, though, that you would use this passage of Scripture in their life in a very similar way you used it in my life. To change them, Lord. We can be changed. And often we get so down on ourselves and so down on the world and so down that we just... Under the load of burdens and problems, we forget you change people. That's all over the Bible and all over uh, this church. And I just pray you'll help us, each and every person here, grab hold of the precious truths that are in this passage of Scripture and own them in our own life. And I pray that for everyone that's here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for years, we've been doing these things at church called God at Work Stories. And the God at Work Stories are really just a people telling about what God's done in their life to bring change, right? In fact, we do them now, and if you've been here in the last couple of years, you see them on video all the time. Well, we did them 20 years ago, where we'd have a team of people that actually trained you how to tell your story. Because sometimes it would get too long if you come up and do it live, and so we'd try and get it down to just a few minutes, five minutes, and tell what happened and what God's been doing and how, how you see it. And we had a, a team of people that would literally train you. Now we have, have videographers that go out. I mean, these are professional guys that do videos for jobs. This is what they do for a living. They know how to do it beautifully. We've got people who are professional question askers. They know how to ask you the right questions to get to the points. Now, I ask you a question. Why do we do all this? Is this just to entertain you? No. has nothing to do with that. It's not about entertaining at all. It's about pointing out three things. Number one, it's extremely biblical. You go through the Bible, much of the Bible is story after story after story after story of how God's worked in people's lives. And we secondly want to show you that God's still at work now. So it's biblical and we want to show you it's still happening right now. And it's still possible for God to be changing and working in your life too. And that leads to the last reason, which is it teaches us that God changes people. Clearly the scriptures reveal and these God work stories reveal God changes people. In fact, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the devil himself and your own skeptical nature is going to tell you, no, it doesn't really work like that, and it's not going to work for you. I mean, what do you think? You're not, you're not Moses. You're not Abraham. You're not like, come on. 
Do you understand that that's not true? I don't know who you are, what you might be facing today, or what situation, or what problem in your marriage, or what financial crisis you're facing, or the difficulties with even somebody in church. Do you understand the truth? You can be changed. God can change you. And I, I mean, I might as well walk off the stage right now and quit if that's not true. Like I said, over and over again, how many stories in the Bible do you have to read? How many stories up front do we have to hear before we realize that applies to me and my life and what I'm facing right now? Last night was amazing. I mean, we had people coming up that were going through divorce, people that are trying to get rid of addictions, all kinds. Of, we, had, we had an invitation. I'm going to give an invitation at the end of this one. You can come forward. People pray over you, pray for you. Watch what God can do. Did you realize that in the Bible, there's these terms used? I'm going to list them. For example, all the terms about the, 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 the tells salvation is about a change. Did you know that? Redemption, that's about how we redeemed by Christ. It's about change. Reconciliation. Regeneration is about how the Holy Spirit regenerates you. Justification. Those are all about change. Look at these other words. These are all theological terms. Uh, sanctification is being separated unto Christ. Forgiven, forgiveness and adoption and ransom and propitiation. Appreciation, probably don't even know what that word means. Every one of those theological terms that theologians use, all of them appear in the Bible, and all of them are talking about change. And it's only the enemy and only your own skepticism that tells you you can't. Because the truth is, the Bible says you can. Oh, you can't. But God can change you. And it's really important that you understand this because this passage right here in Scripture tells us this. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, Lori and I took our, our oldest granddaughter down to uh, Washington, D.C., and we went to the Museum of the Bible. Raise your hand if you've been there. Anybody been there? Oh, boy, we got to do like a field trip. you got to go. This place will blow your mind. It's in Washington, D.C. It's Museum on the Bible. It's six floors high, six stories. So we go there, and we, we did it as long as a 14-year-old could handle it. We did the third floor is the place you start, and then we see all through the Bible. It shows you how the Bible came about. It shows you all the historicity of the Bible, all these different things, archives. Uh, and then you go down in, into the uh, how the Old Testament came about, and the stories of the Old Testament. That goes through the review of the New Testament. We're in this town. They bring you into a town. You're in Nazareth. All kinds of creative ways of doing it. You go to the second floor then, and they show you the impact of the Bible, and it blows your mind. You can't believe it. All around the world, whether it's the Reformation, the First Awakening, Second Great Awakening, the Church Fathers, it's just all kinds of things in the past, and there are all kinds of revivals, all kinds of things God's done. You know, Billy Graham crusades, movements, uh, I am second stories, all kinds of God at work stories. Because the truth is, the power of the Word is irrefutable. It continues to change people's lives over and over again. So now, that's what this whole sermon is about. I put down the big idea of these words. Change is really possible in Christ. I cannot promise anybody here who's depressed that you can be changed outside Christ. I can promise you inside Christ. Anybody here who's having hard times or difficulty, you're sick or you're addicted, I can't promise you nothing. Except in Christ, I can promise you change. So here's the big question. I know you're thinking of this question. How come some people become Christians seem to be changed and other people don't seem to be changed? Why aren't some people changed? Why am I not as changed as I thought I'd be changed? 
Well, this sermon is all about the answer to that question. There's two answers. There's some things in your life you need to close the door to. That's why you're not changed. And some things in your life you need to open the door to. And this passage just unfolds it perfectly. And that's why God's used it in my own personal life so dramatically, because it helped me see the answers to those questions in my own life. Why am I not changing? Why isn't this seem to be working? Why am... Right here. You ready? Point one. It takes closing the door on some things not in Christ. Starting with verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Follow along with me. Let's just read the first three verses. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What's interesting is he's writing to all these Gentiles, but he's saying the Gentiles in the pagan world. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, let's just stop there a minute. He spends three verses describing all this stuff of impurity and alienated and and ignorance and futility of the mind. Why does he do all that? He's talking to a group of Christians. Because it's very possible to be a Christian and to live like a pagan. It's very possible to live like Like you're not changed, but you have been changed. It's very possible to have the Holy Spirit come into you, make you born again, and you're actually, you have this great potential for change, but you're not living it. In other words, it's such a shame. It's such a waste to have your life so, it's like you're living like a pauper, but you're actually a bazillionaire. It's like, you got all these riches, but you live like you're in poverty. Spiritually speaking, that's what Paul saw when he saw the church. Listen to me. Please listen to me, because most of the American church is like this. They're spiritually wealthy, but they live in poverty spiritually. And it's such a shame. It's such a waste. And Paul's looking at the Ephesian church, which is probably more of a wealthier church, because just like a wealthy Americans, because they're in Ephesus, this port town that was quite elaborate. And he's going, you guys, you're wasting your life. Don't you see? You're living like in poverty when you could have this spiritual change and you could experience these changes, but you're stuck. You're not changed. Oh, I thought it was so powerful what he said here. Just, he's pleading with him. Notice the key words. Look at some of these descriptive words, like futility of their minds, which means like a purposeless life. You're going nowhere, and you're feeling that. Callous, the word callous is an interesting word. It means a, a dead to all feeling, or a paralysis of your conscience. Like the Apostle Paul, when I, when I meet people like this or see people like this, I get so sad because I feel like they're stuck. They, they could have this new life in Christ, but they're not. They're living in the old life, and, and they need to see the change. So he comes to that next word. Look at the next word in the passage. Beginning, <clears throat> verse 20 reads like this, but the huge word just, just, I circled it on my page with all this red ink because it's like, but, thank God, that's not where I live, but contrastive conjunctive. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have have heard about him and, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Let's just stop for a minute. Notice key words again. Key words, learned. It's not automatic. 
Oh no, it doesn't just happen. There's some things God just takes away, you just change, you just delivered. But there's some things you got to learn, he said. You, you, it's not automatic. Secondly, he said, you, you heard it. Just like you do when we emphasize in this church, small groups and in your small group. It's like iron sharpening iron, the book of Proverbs says. So one person sharpens another. You're in another group and you can hear things from a person sometimes or another person in your group. You can't even hear from a preacher. And you start hearing it and understanding, whoa, I never thought of that before. That's what I got to work on. That's what God wants me to change, what God calling me to. Or taught. He uses the word just plain out taught in Christ. Before I move on to verses 22 and on, I read this and it reminds me of an old professor I had back in in seminary when I was at Dallas. His name was uh, Dr. Paul Meyer. What was unique about Paul Meyer is he's a clinical psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, that's right. He's got his MD. He can give you prescriptions all the time. And, and he's a Christian psychiatrist trying to take psychology and Christianity, the Bible, and put them together. Well, one day, I'm in his class. And all of us, as, us guys had come to class. There's probably 15, 20 of us. And we're sitting there waiting. This never happens. The professor's not showing up. What's going on? And we're waiting a few minutes, and it's, you know, it's after time to start. And finally, the prof comes walking in the door. Paul Meyer throws his stuff down on the podium and goes, Oh, guys, whew, glad I'm finally here. It, it was rough. I was going through the school zone. I didn't want to get a ticket. I got a ticket in the school zone before. I didn't want to do this, so I'm going slow, trying to get here. But I got to get here, and I'm late. Finally get here. I get out of the car, shut the door, and, and I grab my stuff in the seat I, 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 and shut the door, and I start walking toward the class. I trip over this big rock that they use there for ornament rocks because I'm trying to cut through the yard. And he says, I fall pretty near full flat on my face, drop all my stuff. I bend down to pick it up, and I'm saying to myself, you idiot. Come on, pick up your stuff. You're so clumsy. You're so fat. He was a little overweight. And he says, I'm just going, and I'm saying all these things about myself. And he says, I'm picking up my stuff, and I'm realizing what I'm doing. Now, what does a psychologist or psychiatrist call that? Negative self-talk. So I'm going, why am I having all this negative self-talk? And, I, and it just dawns on me as I'm picking up my stuff, and I'm heading toward the door, because we're up on the third floor. He says, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I'm falling back into old patterns. I am an idiot. I am dumb. I am clumsy, and I am fat. But that's not who I am anymore. I'm defining myself in what I used to be. I'm in Christ. The potential for change, the good news ahead, the work of God in His, in His, in His Spirit in my life is all that I have. Why am I continually looking at myself that way? <clears throat> and what was so odd is, you have a professor telling you about his personal life. This is just so odd. Like That's why 40 years later, I can still remember it. Like He was shocking. Like, yeah, guys. So I realized I got to change. Just like Paul described here, literally he took this passage of Scripture and he talked with us about it. He says, and he t- talked about Philippians too, can I do all things through Christ who strengthens me or can't I? You know, Philippians 4. He looked at this passage and said, am I defining myself according to all this, this you know, callousness and things? Have I learned it? Have I, have, I, have I heard it? Have I been taught it? Yes, and now I'm not applying it. So look at the next few verses. Verses 22 through 24. Look what he says. He said, well, the truth is in Jesus, but I need to put off the old self. Verse 22. 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Ooh, deceitful desires? You know, that's like you have desires, but they deceive you. Oh, I thought this is going to make me happy, but it didn't. I thought this is all going to work out, but it didn't. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice the words put off and put on. You got to put off the old self, he says, and put on the new self. I, I was reading this and I was thinking, you know what we need here? A visual aid. You know how I like visual aids. So bring out my visual aid. I thought to illustrate this perfectly would be to use a door. The putting off, the putting on. It's like walking through a door and you close the door on some things and you open the door to others. So we're going to use this door here that the facilities guys put together for me. Thanks, Dan. Good job. And how there's some things you need to put off, put behind you. And like I said in the point, you need to close the door. And realize who you are. And Dr. Meyer was saying, guys, I was still living back here. I'm telling myself all these things about who I am. But that's not who I am anymore. I'm in Christ. You used to be an alcoholic. You used to be a drug addict. You used to be immoral. You used to live in sensuality. All the things I... He said, not anymore. I'm in Christ. Yeah, amen. Right? But what do we do? Uh, We leave the door open a little bit. Or all the way. And we're like... What? This isn't, this isn't working for me. This isn't working. You know, it's like, no, you can't play both sides of this. You got to make a decision. So what did Paul say? You got to put off some things and you got to put on some others. You got to learn some things. You got to be taught some things. You got to grab some things you haven't been grabbing. This is why some people never change to become Christians. They might even really be a Christian, but they're, they're still over here. Come on. This is not who you are. You know, a slave to sin. Or, Paul said, I'm a slave to righteousness. God's changing me. He's renewing me. Now, let me read the words again. Let me go right from the text. Here's what he's saying. On this side of the door, let's shut the door. On this side of the door, I have futility, purposelessness. I have darkness. I'm alienated from God. I'm ignorant. I have this hardness in my heart, this stubbornness, this self-centeredness, a callousness. I'm kind of flat emotionally, not calloused. I'm not feeling my conscience even. Sensuality. I'm greedy, impure, deceitful desires like we already talked about. But he's saying, if I'll open the door and enter into my new life in Christ, then I'm going to really learn some things. The truth is in Jesus, not outside Jesus. I'm going to be renewed in my mind. These are the words I'm taking right out of the text. The likeness of God starts to become my likeness. I start, which was what I was created for, right? I was created in the image of God to be like God. And the whole problem in my life is that I'm not living like that. And he's saying, but Christ, because he died on the cross and purchased you, you can be like this and have true righteousness. And he mentions holiness. Wow. And it's going to happen to me because it's already happened to me. Jesus purchased me 
with his blood so that I could go through this door because before Christ, it's closed. I can't get there. And sometimes we keep thinking this, oh, you're not going to really change. You can't change. No, I really can't promise you that outside of Christ. It's closed, even locked. But in Christ, you really can change. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why those two words, in Christ, are the two most important words. Not just positionally that you can know you're going to heaven, but you can actually be changed now. And so Paul writes to the Ephesians saying, here's what you got to do. But you might be asking, yeah, but how does that look in my real life? Look at the rest. Point to it. In fact, if you think that's good, wait till you get to the next few verses. Look at point two. It takes opening the door to some things that are in Christ. Not just closing the door to some things, but opening the door. Look at verse 25. He says this, Therefore, okay, on the basis of what I've been trying to say here about putting off the old, putting on the new, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Speaking the truth is like a reference back to verse 15, where he says, Rather, let each of you speak the truth in love, and so grow up in the Lord. So he says, first of all, speak the truth in love. Verse 26. Let's read that. This is a powerful passage. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry. He's saying, oh, anger is not always sin. No. I mean, God got angry. God gets angry. In fact, that word I didn't explain to you at the end of my list of terms, propitiation, probably don't even know what that means. It means the anger of God, the wrath of God is satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross. Even Jesus got angry at the money changers, right? It's not wrong to be angry. That's called righteous anger. But you and I all know most of our anger is not so righteous, right? Our pride gets hurt or we feel snubbed or not respected or whatever it be. There's anger because I didn't get mine and they got theirs. There's anger, selfish anger, right? What's so significant about this is it says, don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down your anger. That same psychiatrist I talked about earlier, Paul Meyer, Dr. Paul Meyer, he said, he says, psychologists, and this is 40 years ago, he says, psychologists are pretty much proven. If you go to bed angry, and you go to bed angry, and you go to bed angry night after night, pretty soon it goes into your subconscious. You don't even know, but you've got a grudge. You're bitter. Sometimes it shows up on your face, and your countenance. Sometimes it shows up in your actions. Sometimes it shows up in you going psycho, you know. A psychological problem. He says, in fact, one time, he goes on, next verse, look what he says here next. He says, be angry, don't sin, don't let sin go down. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. This psychiatrist interpreted that to mean the devil? There's actually outside forces influencing your soul? Yes. He says, I believe that has a lot to do. Nobody understands how spirit and soul work together. But he says, there's a something going on that's even demonic or satanic. He says, I think that's at the root of a lot of psychological problems. 
So he said a shocking thing one time because I took a course from him later from the course I told you about earlier where it was just a few of us guys working with him in a psych ward. Most of the people in the psych ward because he's a Christian psychiatrist and the other ones working with him were too were Christians. And he says to us, three or four guys working with him, oh, most of the people here for, for, the, for the same reason. You know, psych ward, you can only go for a maximum of like six weeks. And one of the things that shocked me is I looked at, they all look like you. Like me, like regular people. I didn't know what I was expecting, but I didn't expect them to look so regular. Everybody looked regular. And he goes, yeah. Well, why are they here? He says, same reason. Almost all of them. Not all of them, but almost all of them, same reason. What's that? They're angry. <laughs> I almost laughed, like, come on. Dr. Meyer, that can't be that simple. He goes, yeah. It's basically that simple, but it's extremely complex for them to figure that out and for them to get better. They're stuck. Anger changes people. Don't ever forget that. And anger changes you. Listen to me. Anger changes you. Anger locks the door on what God wants to do in your life. Anger leaves you here. You got to deal with the anger or you're never going here. You can't get there. You got to do something with it. He'll tell you by the end of the passage, we're going to read it, what to do with it. But anger will change you. Nobody can hold a grudge and not have it change them. Against your mom, or your dad, or your brother, or your sister, or that horrible teacher you had, or that person that abused you, grudges destroy people. So Dr. Meyer said, I'm going to help people get in touch with that feeling of anger. You know, in touch with your feelings. Psychologist, right? But he says, it's not just in touch with your feelings. You've got to do something with it. Right. And this passage of Scripture shows you beautifully how to do it. Look, look what it goes on to say. He goes this in the next verse. Let the thief no longer steal. I was thinking when I first read this, like, you know, years ago, like, what's he talking about thieves for? What does that have to do with anything? Well, he says, a thief steals because he's mad. I don't have any, and you got some. I'll just take yours, <laughs> right? And why should you have it, and I don't have it? Where's my rights? I want some of that. Stealing, it's all based on anger. Okay, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Or this one, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Anger shows up in your mouth, shows up in your words, but only such as is good for the building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit, the power of God's Spirit, talked about all over in the New Testament, is like closed to you, like he's grieved because you won't deal with that anger. You won't deal with that problem. You won't deal with even your anger toward God. And why do you let this happen? I can't believe. You see, you need to deal with that or you're stuck. The door's shut to you to the change that could happen in Christ. It's like the Holy Spirit's on the other side of the door waiting for you, but it's shut out to you. Now he gets to the truth in verses 31 and 32. Best part of the whole sermon. Ready? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander, be put away from you, along with all malice. The stuff that comes out of your mouth, the bitterness that's in your heart, the wrath, the anger. He says, you're going to have to get rid of that. How am I going to do it? Verse 32. 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. To be kind is in contrast to being angry or slanderous. Slander means to tell the truth about somebody, but with the intent to hurt them. Malice. He says, instead, be tender-hearted. You know what tender-hearted means? Try your best to see from their point of view, their circumstance, their situation, why they did what they did. And then make a decision to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice the word as. It's the key word in the whole passage. You're supposed to forgive them as God forgave you in Christ. Let me ask you a question. God has forgiven you of all your sins, right? Because Jesus died on the cross for him. Did you deserve to be forgiven? I would think if you're in your right mind, you'd go, well, no, I didn't do anything to deserve to be forgiven. I just did it. I can't go back and undo it. And I didn't do nothing. But God let you go. He cut you slack. He didn't stay holding a grudge toward you. He forgave you. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid your debt on the cross, died in your place as your substitute. And he takes that same thinking and says, well, if God could forgive you because of Jesus, then you should forgive that person who doesn't deserve it because of Jesus. So you're right when you say, I, 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 can't, I can't forgive him. No, you can't. Nobody can. They did you bad. Yeah, they really did you bad. That was horrible. They might have raped you. They might have, they, might have, they might have stole all your money. I don't know what it is, but you can forgive them because you didn't deserve it, so they don't deserve it. What does that have to do with anything? Jesus died on the cross. You can say, I can do it in Christ. Do you get it? You can't do it over here, and you're acting like you're over here. You can't forgive them over here, but over here you can't if you shut the door on that and say, okay, well, I can't, but he can't. And there's so many things in our life like that that we can't change, but He can. All because as God forgave us in Christ, as God changes us in Christ. Let me tell you a story. I talked to a guy. He was telling me about when he was in college and after college, he had realized, especially going into sales and other kind of things he was getting involved with, you know, if I can lie really good and people can't tell I'm lying, I come out on top. I've noticed that about certain people. Have you ever noticed that in the world? It's true. So he says, here I am over on this side of the door, I have not become a believer, and I'm literally training myself to lie. Yeah, I would look in the mirror, make sure, can't tell by my face, can't tell by what I'm saying, I look really like I'm telling the truth but I'm not. He says, then I become a Christian. I start understanding the New Testament truth of being in Christ and what it means to be in Christ. I've freely become a believer, but the problem is I still lie really good. And I, I, I just can like not stop. If you've got anything in your life like that, a pattern you created and you can't seem to get over it, it's like an addiction. I had like an addiction to lying and I was really good at it. 
And I was making good money lying good. You know, not, not big lie, little lie, just not, or just not quite mentioned. So, hey, I've been in sales jobs before. It's really easy to do. He says, so finally, I gave up. I just gave up. I said, okay, Lord, I can't do it. You're going to have to change me. And I cried out to God to change me. So I went to work, and I had this big deal I was working on. And we're almost to a place where I'm going to close the deal. But I just, just had to tell a little lie. He says, it, 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 it's not like, I mean, if I lose the deal, this is going to be a big problem. I, I, but he says, and normally I would just say the little whatever, you know, to get, get the deal closed. He says, this time I didn't do, I, without even thinking of it, it just came to me. He says, God was changing me from the inside out. And he says, I just told him the truth. And the guy said, whoa, I didn't know that. He said, yeah, well, then, he said, next thing you know, we negotiated the whole thing through with, with the truth. And the, the deal was closed. He says, I walked out of the room almost in tears like, wow, he's changing me. You see, one of the key things is to realize this doesn't work. My only hope is for him to do it. He can do it. That's why I said you can be changed. You really can. It's a lie. You can't. It's a lie. It's not true. That's the big lie. The truth is, Christ changes people. The whole gospel's about change. The whole New Testament's about change. And somehow the devil tricks us, and we believe the lies that we can't. Because there's some things we won't close the door to. And we really won't open the door to being in Christ. I don't know which is your problem. If there's an addiction, a temptation, a bad attitude, a grudge you're holding that's keeping you on this side of the door, but I beg you this morning, come on, open up to Christ. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Maybe He's not really your Lord, but you act like it, you talk like it. The key is to say, okay, Lord, I'm crossing the threshold. It's no longer me, but it's Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. It's Christ in me. That's what changes me. I'm in Him. That's what changes me. And I don't know about you, but in my life, it's like going back and forth sometimes because yeah, sometimes I got the door open just a little bit or maybe a lot. I'm holding this big grudge. And then I wonder, and I blame God. What an idiot. Like it's his fault. He made the door. He opened the door. And sometimes it's such a waste of my life to live over here when I could be living over here. I don't know what trial or problem or difficulty you're going through. Cross the threshold and close the door and say, no, I can't, but he can. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team out right now, and they're going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to do something we only do every couple of months. I'm going to have an altar call. You could actually come up here. I mean, former elders, people that are, that are elders in our church now, other church leaders are going to be right down front here. I mean, people that you could literally say something to, and they're not going to go tell anybody. They're used to that. They do that all the time. Pastors are coming up. Different people will be up here that you can talk to and just say, you know what? I need to shut the door on my addiction. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. You can say it or you cannot say it, whatever you want to say. 
But you're coming, I'm addicted to, 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 to this habit of lying. I got that. Or this thing that is not truthful in my life. Or this grudge, this anger I got toward my mom, my dad, my brother. Or, or God. We had a lady come up last night. She insisted, I must, because we'd pushed the door. Well, they, are, they pushed it way, they had it way back there. And she's like, I've got to walk through the door. It was so dramatic. This lady comes up to the door. I thought she was going to walk through the door. She stops to that side of it. She's crying and repenting. Finally opens the door, walks through, and just has this joyful experience because she's saying, I'm closing the door. What is it that you need to close the door on? Come up and tell somebody. That act alone is like saying, okay, door's been shut. I'm telling this guy it's over. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm, I'm turning to the Lord now. And I'm going to trust him. I'm going to, in a sense, just like the guy with the lying thing, I'm going, to, I'm going to stop trying. It's like, I can't do it. I keep butting ahead against. You're trying to do it without the door. God gave you the, in fact, in the New Testament, chapter 7, I believe it is, of John, he says what? Jesus is the door. He sure is. So here's, let's do this. Why don't we stand up? The worship team's going to lead us. You guys come on up, get started. Let me just pray this prayer with you. As you come to your feet, stand before the Lord and realize you have nothing that you can do to change yourself. And God has all these riches for you. As you're on your feet, let me just read to you these words again that we just read. You can either live in anger and sin, have the devil's foothold in your life, addicted to stealing and being bitter and wrathful and angry and clamor and slander or malice, having deceitful desires and impurity and sensuality and calloused hearts and hardened and, 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 and ignorant and in darkness and the futility of mind. Or you can learn, you can have the truth in Jesus, have a renewal of your mind, live in true righteousness and holiness, speaking the truth, members of one another, sharing, not having corrupt words in your mouth, building up one another, not grieving the Spirit of God, but being kind tender-hearted and forgiving just as God and Christ forgave you. So Lord, we, we hear your word. And I prayed at the beginning that these people would hear what I heard. See what I saw in my life. Change like I've changed and still being changed. Oh Lord, if there's somebody here and they need to close the door, help them come up front and close it today. Confessing with another leader or even with me, here's what I need to do. And during this song, as, as the worship team sings this beautiful song that describes what we're talking about, may there be real change taking place as we close the way, close the door behind us on what we did and saying, nope, it's all in Christ. I'm all in. In Jesus' name I pray.